If you have your Bibles, if you turn me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, I'm going to get there in just a minute. But on this weekend, uh, this, this opening weekend here, uh, it's such a momentous weekend. And it's such a memorable uh, occasion uh, because you just think back to all that's happened to get us to this point. And all of the, 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 the volunteer hours and all of the praying and all of the giving and all of the, just the time. And even the last several months as we've just kind of been crunching in to get into this facility and, and going and, and just everything that's happened. I'm reminded of, of this statement that God always has a plan with provision that begins with a person. God always has a plan with provision that begins with a person. Let me say that one more time. God always has a plan with provision that begins with a purpose. Excuse me, with a person. And, and I just want to talk about that to, for just for a few minutes because here is the reality. What's happened in our midst, what we're seeing physically, is a result of God's plan with provision that began with a person. And that person is you. Jesus begins to show us and illustrate this in John's Gospel, chapter 6. As Jesus has been, he's been teaching, he, he's been uh, healing the sick, he's been doing miracles, signs, and wonders. And he's really trying to kind of pull away from, in essence, to kind of get a break. But the people continue to pursue him. And in the pursuit of it, he realizes, not that it occurs to him, but he recognizes that they've been with him all day long and What's going to happen? Where are they going to eat? Now, those of you that don't think that eating is spiritual, just let me let you know, it's very spiritual. Hallelujah. Amen. It's one of my spiritual gifts, I'm just telling you. And uh, that's what we do here at Life Church. And so, so he begins to recognize that there are 5,000 men. Scholars tell us that, that there were probably 20,000 people there with nothing to eat. And Jesus knows we've got to do something. But he always has a plan with provision that begins with a, purpose, with a person. And so we, we see this, and, and I want you to first of all recognize God always has a plan. He always has a plan. Now, nothing ever occurs to Jesus. Nothing ever occurs to God. Nothing catches him off guard. There's no situation or circumstance that you're facing today that God doesn't have an answer to. And you may think that's just candy stick Christianity on Sunday morning. I'm telling you, from Genesis all the way to the, to the maps in the back of the Bible, God has proven time and time and time again that he has a plan. And he does it right here. Look at your Bibles in John chapter 6, verse 1. And sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Look at verse 5. And when Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, I love this. There's a lot of humor in this, so read it that way, right? Don't just read Jesus like, serious all the time. You're too serious. Okay, all right, all right here we go. Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? How are we going to feed them, Philip? Holla, come on, give me. You're, you're a disciple of, me, of Jesus Christ. Tell me what we're going to do. Look at verse 6. And he asked this only to test them. For he, Jesus, already had in mind what he was going to do. See, we read the Bible way too serious and sanctimoniously. Jesus knew what he was going to do. He's just like, I'm just messing with you, Philip. What's up? Lighten up, man. 20,000 people, full buffet, that's no problem. And so Philip is like sweating bullets, thinking, what are we going to do? I mean, like, really, seriously? And, and the phrase here that I love is that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He had a plan. He had a plan. 
And I'm telling you, some of you are here today, and you just need to know that, that God has a plan. And that nothing ever occurs to God, nothing ever just shows up, nothing just slips up on God. God's not falling asleep in the, in the heavenly lazy boy in the heavens, right? He's awake, he is on the throne, and he has a plan that works, whatever your circumstances. God's plan always works. But he all, God doesn't just have a plan, he pays for what he asks for. He always has provision. With provision. There's always a plan with provision every single time. Look at it there in verse 10. And Jesus said, here's what we're going to do. Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down, about 5,000 men that were there. Plus women, children, probably 20,000 people, scholars would tell us. Verse 11. Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed those who were seated as much as they wanted. Can I get a witness? I mean, that's good, right? Like, I don't like stingy people in a buffet line. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you people are just, I'm worried about you. Have you not eaten lately? Are you eating too much? I mean, as much as they wanted. That's, that's where I'm telling you, buffets will be in heaven. All right. And, uh, and he did the same with the fish. In verse 12, and they all had enough to eat. And he said to the disciples, I want you to gather pieces that, there are, that are left over, so let nothing be wasted. Verse 13, so they gathered them, and they filled with 12 baskets the pieces of the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten them. So God takes this lunch, this, this five loaves and two fish, and there are 13 baskets full when he's done with it. God always brings provision. Whatever we're facing, whatever's going on in your world, whatever's going on in my world, God is a God of more than enough. I don't know how many times he has to say it, spell it, write it, communicate it, demonstrate it. He's always a God of more than enough. Whatever there is a need in your life, God is a God of more than enough. And all he wants you to do is exhibit some faith and some trust. But out of that, he'll take what becomes little and he'll make it much. The Bible says he'll take the foolish things of the world to to confound the wise, that he will always take that little and make it much. Little becomes much when God is in it. And he takes this basket, he takes this lunch, he takes this snack pack, this lunchable, if you would, and he feeds 20,000 people. And he doesn't just feed them, he feeds them all they want. He doesn't skimp, it's like, uh, 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 you can't have any more. No, sorry, only two, two pieces of fish per person, one, one biscuit, that's it. That's You get one hush, baby, two bit. Some of you don't even know what hush puppies are. Holla. I'm just saying, it, it, he doesn't. He just, until you want, and they had enough to eat. It says it twice. It's redundant on that, on that point. Because he's proven a point here. He's a God of more than enough. There's no resource issue when it comes to God. There's no limitation when it comes to God. And that's what he wants to do in your life and in my life. And that's what we're sitting in today. It's a representation that God's a God of more than enough. Yeah, 10 years ago, we were a church in a storefront and just trying with 100 people to survive. But today, Weezy, we moved up to the east side. You know what I'm talking about? To a deluxe apartment. Come on, give me some George Jefferson. I'm just saying. At the end of the day, you look around, you go, God has done great things. He always has a plan. He always has provision. But it always begins with a person. It always begins with a person. I want you to see this. Because I think sometimes we, 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 we forget this. Verse 8. And another disciple, Andrew, Peter's brother, spoke up and said, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish. But how far will they go among so many? We don't even know the kid's name. 
hey, Jesus, you, you told Philip that we got to feed these people. So we've been scouring 20,000 people, and here's what we've come up with. And I don't even really know. I mean, here's, here's Peter, who's going to basically be the leader of the New Testament church, according to the book of Acts, walking up and just going, I don't, know, I don't even know if you can do anything about this, Jesus. I know you've been healing people all day long and raising people from the dead and blind eyes open, but there ain't no way you can put on a buffet with five loaves and two fish. Don't you love the faith that these disciples have? But it begins with a boy. And God always loves to work in concert with you and with me. I don't understand why, but he does. He loves to connect with us and to do this. And Life Church, there are many great churches in this community, but you're one of them. And God in his infinite wisdom said, I want to do something great in Germantown. I'm going to do something great right there on Squire Drive and Mequon Road. I'm going to build my church there, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And there's never been anything on that soil there. There's a, there's a, there's a storefront shopping center on the front end of the parking lot, but I'm going to give you that life church, and then we're, I'm going to build my church, and we're going to provide seats, and I'm going to fill them with people. And as long as you'll trust me, I'll continue to do this over and over and over and over again. And here's the, here's the wonderful part, is the person is you. God works with you. God, God provides through you. God blesses you. God's working in you. And, and, and this weekend with this opening of this facility, it's just an illustration of that. So here's what I want to do. Here's how I want to end this today. We love missions at Life Church. We love missionaries. We love all of that. And I came across a video of a lady named Hulda Buntain. Now, I've known Hulda Buntain for years. She's a hero. She's, she's a, a, her and her husband, Mark, went to India almost 60 years ago. And 24 years ago, her husband, Mark, went to be with the Lord. And she continued the work even to today. And she's what I call the, the, the mother of, of modern missions. And so her life and the ministry there in Calcutta, India, illustrates this point that we're making illustrates what we're living out today that God always has a plan with provision that begins with a person check this out Calcutta is only nine miles long four miles wide with 22 million people see the congestion of this city I, I remember asking Mark what can a young couple do in this congested city? And I remember him saying, we can't, but God can. And we started in a tent, bare piece of ground. And I'll never forget a beggar walked into our tent service. And in the middle of Mark's message, he screamed out these words, Preacher, feed our bellies, and then try to tell us there's a God in heaven that loves us. He realized at that point we could not reach people lying on the streets of Calcutta and the poor and the poverty-stricken in this huge city unless we had compassionate ministries. And so... We started a feeding program, but it was at that time that Mother Teresa got to know about us and our interests in the feeding program. And she took us to the major garbage dump in Calcutta. 
where all the garbage is thrown every day and burned every hour. And when we saw children jumping into the garbage for anything they may recycle or food to eat, our hearts broke and we said, no, we have to do something about this. We realized that there were so many poor children without education. We raised the money for the school, came back and built the school. And then we started going up class by class to the different sections of the school, grade by grade by grade. Pastor Mrs. Bantain had always had a special place for underprivileged children and the poor of the city. So we've always had also with us children who came from very poor homes, but nobody knew who they were because everyone was treated the same. Everything got too small. We, um, we just had to get larger land. We searched and searched and couldn't find any land. And so finally one day Mark came home very excited and said, I found the land, an old cemetery. British have all gone. Kids are using it as a soccer field. And so we were able to get this huge piece of land, four blocks square on Park Street. Our hospital was the first building that we constructed at Park Street property. And um, Mark was able to raise money just for the foundation and the first floor. But he always felt when he had the money to go ahead and God would supply the rest, which used to worry me a lot. In fact, I would tease him, say he has the faith and I have the ulcers because I did the accounts. But when we dug the foundation, we ran into a lake. Calcutta being so low, I think below sea level almost. And when we saw that water, the construction company said, you'll need pilings under this building. And it's going to be a six-storied building, so we had to have a lot of pilings. We didn't have the money for the pilings at all. So Mark took a little Bible out of his pocket. He always carried a little Bible in the back of his pocket when he test, would witness to anybody who would open the Bible. And he asked them for a rope and he tied the rope around the Bible. And the staff that we had at that time all held hands around the water. And I thought, what in the world is he going to do? And I think everybody else thought that also. And he let the rope down with the Bible into the water and said, now all of us pray together. And of course, he led in prayer that the water will recede into the ground so we can build our hospital because God wants us to treat the sick in this hospital because it'll be the greatest arm of evangelism that we have. And immediately, the water started to go down, 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 down. It took some time. I'll tell you, those builders, the contractors' eyes were like saucers watching that water go down. 
And today, our basement in our hospital is the driest basement of any of the buildings surrounding our hospital. After the hospital was finished, Dad had a tendency to um, pick up anybody he thought needed a hospital bed. Kind of drove some of the doctors crazy. But one time he picked up a person who he knew he was going to die. And he brought him into the hospital and he, I remember he just said, I know he's going to die. And in fact, one of the doctors said, Pastor, why are you bringing us a dead man? And he said, well, if nothing else, I want him to know that somebody loves him and he dies between clean sheets. And so he, they brought him in, they cleaned him up, they put him in bed, and uh, Dad was talking to him about Jesus and saying something you know, to him that, you know, that Jesus loves him. And in this particular situation, you know, this gentleman was obviously passing away, and he would say to him, you need to love Jesus, you know, Jesus loves you. And he looked up at him and he said, are you Jesus? He had never heard. He didn't even know, you know, so he got an opportunity to share to him who Jesus was. So they reflected Christ in everything that they did. It was not uh, just a show. It was very genuine. And uh, the compassion, the genuine love that they had for people was so outstanding. Uh, that I used to um, often tell them, you know, that I have not seen Jesus, but I have, I can tell you, I have definitely seen him in your lives. When Pastor Buntain was snatched away fairly, very suddenly, and the mantle of leadership fell upon Sister Halda, it was a huge burden upon her, not just because she had to pick up uh, the unfinished projects uh, that Pastor Buntain had, Pastor Mark had uh, initiated, but in a culture where uh, women are not given prominence. And in fact, at the time when she assumed leadership, there were very few, if any, women in India who were in ministry, and there was not even one lady who was ordained. Uh, to, to, to pastor. So she was the first woman of any nationality to be ordained as a pastor in the nation of India. And so it was quite an uphill challenge for her. But with time, as people began to see the anointing of God upon her life and the effectiveness of the way God used her, people began to accept her leadership. And Halda Bantain has been the backbone of all of this work. Uh, Mark Buntain passed away in 1989 and the world around us thought that the work would collapse and would stop and it took a woman of God, a lady, who took one day at a time and has perhaps achieved much more in the last 15-20 years than has been achieved in the previous uh, stint. And today we talk about 200 plus schools or 700 churches I, I think this has been done because of relentless pursuit of Halda Bantain, who's been able to really walk the road and keep still walking the road on behalf of the mission. And so, you know, I look back 58 years, and I think there was a time when 
a group of ministers came through here from Manila. They had held a big crusade in Manila. They took us out for dinner, told us how foolish we were to remain in Calcutta. They said, you know, you were promising you young evangelists in your country, and you're here in this dirty, filthy city. I mean, you're just burying yourself in this city, and you'll never be heard of again. I can remember those words so distinctly. You'll never be heard of again. And going home, I said to Mark, do you think that they're right? And I remember him saying, who brought us here? And I said, well, God brought us here. And he said, well, we'll leave when God tells us to. say is to God be the glory great things he has done not a tribute to us but I think it gives God's plan that we come at that time has a plan with provision and it always begins with a person. Amen? Would you do me a favor and would you give a warm Mother's Day Live Church welcome to Hulda Buntane and her daughter Body Long as they make their way to the platform. Welcome to Wisconsin. Thank you so much, <laughs> Pastor Aaron. It's a joy to have you, especially here on this Mother's Day weekend, and to have your daughter Bonnie yeah. with us as well. And uh, I just want you to share, uh, uh, talk to us a little bit about maybe the, we, we've seen the great work that God has done and is doing, but talk to me about what, what's been the great 60 years in one country to see as I'm sitting there and I'm looking at those statistics and those numbers. I know they're all they're people behind those. Talk to me, greatest miracle, greatest struggle, what's God doing? Well, you know, the strangest part about it, 
We were young evangelists in our early 20s, and um, we had an invitation to go to India for one year. Uh, Mark, my husband, had just come back from the Orient, spending six months, and uh, I was born in Japan, Tokyo, Japan, and they asked him to stay uh, and have youth ministry in Japan, but he felt God spoke to him and said, this is the last time you'll speak to Oriental people, you'll go to India. Fifteen months later, we were asked to go to India for one year. But you know, in those days, he took a ship. It took us three ships in two months to get there. But the Sunday before we boarded that ship, he spoke at a large church in downtown New York. And the pastor's wife was asked to close in prayer. And she called me forward and she said to stand beside Mark. She laid her hand on both our shoulders and she prayed a very strange prayer. She prayed, God, make this couple a blessing to India for years to come. And she drug <laughs> out the years. And going home, I said to Mark, I said, what did she mean years to come? <laughs> we were only going for one year of evangelistic ministry through India, starting in Calcutta. But you know, God had a plan and purpose for our lives that we really didn't know. But I remember getting off that ship. Calcutta is the poorest city in the world. Nine miles long, four miles wide, 22 million people. Can you imagine? And I remember turning to Mark and I said, what can a young couple do in this city? And I remember his words so distinctly, we can't, but God can. We started in a tent, then moved to an upstairs hall. After we started small, crowds grew night after night in the upstairs hall. And they laughed at us, said, hell downstairs and heaven downstairs and nightclub underneath. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was time to build a church. No church had been built in Calcutta in 100 years. Property was very difficult to get. The only property that we could get was the, the, um, where we'd held the tent services, owned by a Muslim family, and they weren't going to sell. But you know, prayer changes things. Yes, it does. And I'll never forget Christmas Sunday, 1959, we opened the first church in Calcutta in 100 years. Wow. And that all got too small. We opened a school, 200 children. Everything got too small. And we had to find larger property, but we searched. There was nothing in Calcutta. One day, Mark came home so excited. He said, I found the land. And I said, where? He said, on the main street of Calcutta. I said, impossible. You know, we've looked and looked. And then he said, an old cemetery. I said, a what? <laughs> cemetery. Four blocks square, but we have it today. Wow. Calcutta is so many hours ahead of us. Tomorrow, Sunday, on our main church alone, on our complex, Every state in India has a different language. And we took a survey of the ones that come to Calcutta to find work. And in eight different languages today, almost 5,000 people are worshiping and praising God on wow. our main church today. So that's why I say, that's awesome. impossible 
is one of God's favorite words. Hey, Mom, I'm going to jump in here. So that's the one church on Park Street. Yes. But we're, what about Darjeeling, Jharkhand, and Puri? We have See, Dad <laughs> laid the plans and built the one church in 100 years. But you heard there are 700 churches. Tell the story of the 689 and 90 that have come apart. <laughs> How did they happen in those areas? Well, you know, Mark had a vision because all of the states around us were unevangelized. There was no gospel witness. And he wanted to move into these other areas uh, and preach the gospel. And the only way to train the Bible schools in the different languages. And today, the, the film says 700 churches, but now we have 900 churches wow. in all of these areas. 900 churches. And um, Bonnie will tell you more about the rural clinics out of our hospital, you know. That hospital, as you saw on the screen, was a miracle. Mm. But you know, Pastor Aaron, I want to tell you something. Proverbs 3.27, withhold not good from them who deserve it, when it is in the power of your hand. You know, many, of, uh, may, many think that we're celebrities. I got news for you, we're not. It's you that are the celebrities. Mission-giving pastors like you, mission-giving churches like yours, nothing would have been accomplished on that screen if it hadn't been for churches like yours and pastors like you who have given and given and given and given. Why, that hospital... All those churches, Bible schools, schools, 32,000 children. Who's supporting those poor children? It's, and I love that scripture that says, in the power of your hand to do yeah. it. Right. And that's why I'm so grateful when I come home from India and I speak at churches every weekend to thank the people for their sacrificial, it's real sacrificial giving now during the recession, economic crisis. Sure. But you know how the work has grown and it, it's, it's just so wonderful now to have the next generation. I have three grandsons and they're interested in Calcutta also. So from generation to generation, and little did we think, 20 wow. years of age, in our 20s, what God had in store wow. for us. I don't think she's lost any fire, do you? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Bonnie, I want to ask you about your dad and about uh, the relationship with Mother Teresa and the, the whole feeding program that started. Will you, will you kind of walk us through? Because I know we saw clips on the, on the screen, but there was a pretty powerful connection there and would you, would you just kind of tell us? Sure. Mother, actually we call her mother. She was, I've known her all until she died. She was a wonderful person. And uh, dad and she had a really, really close relationship. And mother um, did a lot of work amongst the death and dying, which is part of what Sisters of Charity do now and do a great work with it. But there was this one area that was known as the dump. And you saw a piece of it on the film. And there were children all over it because years ago, children, had no, when they had no food, the only place they could find any was at the dump. 
And mother had a real issue with that. So she got a hold of my father and she said, I know you can do something about this. And uh, dad, I remember so clearly, I was a child and he would say, Bonnie, he said, it looked like ants on an anthill. He said, I've never seen so many children digging garbage out. And dad's philosophy with my mother, actually my mother was a very strong part of it. She talks very liberally about my father, but my mother was the brains behind it. Is that? Um, <laughs> That's she, how easily is, isn't it? it Go really ahead, is. tell the truth. <laughs> she, um, you know, education was the key. So my dad with mother said, of course, you know, we will feed them. And so they started bringing in food to educate them. I mean, to feed them, but then he would have them picked up and taken to the school, and that's how some of the schools started, is that he brought them in and educated, because dad always felt that you can't change a person until you educate them and, un and make them understand and a choice, and faith-based through a choice, and understanding the love of Christ, because really, when you look at the parables of Christ, that's how he right. did it. Yeah, he lived was. it, sure. and that's what they did. They lived it, right. and by living it, this is the product of it. Wow. Now, I want to parlay right into that because I found something out about you this week that I didn't know. Child sponsorships, what we see, compassion, world vision, so forth and so on, that originated from the conversation that Mark had with Mother Teresa about how to minister to these children, but God was the one that gave you that idea to say, here's what we need to do, and here's what we can do, and you actually were the one to will you share with that because that's amazing to me because I mean we yeah. many of us in this room we share we do child partnerships all over the world but you you it was an idea the Lord well, gave you know you. missionaries years gone by went out and just preached the gospel but as the years went along countries tightened up and uh, they were resenting uh, foreigners coming in and they say proselyting changing their religion now, we were not there to change their religion. We're there to show the love of Christ. Sure. And I remember a beggar walked into our tent service, and I said it on the screen. And I'll never forget that night. He screamed, preacher, feed our bellies, and then tell us that God loves us. A little girl fainted in our first classroom. Mark said to her, when did you eat last? I can't remember. Rushed her to a city hospital, two in the bed, two under the bed came home with tears in his eyes and said, I will not only educate these children, but I will feed them and medically treat them. And our education system over these many years, I want you to know the leaders that you have seen, the CEO of our hospital that talked on the screen tonight is one of our school children. So he was a child that was a he product was of the of the. Uh, he of was a sponsored child. Sponsored child. So somebody sponsored him. Yes. And from the states or wherever, and yes. he went through the program, yes. and now Dr. Sanjay yes. is. Here. And his wow. wife also, and our associate pastor. When I, I hear him preach, tears run down my cheeks. Senior associate pastor of our church. I could tell you stories of hundreds of our leaders, our preachers, our pastors. But quickly, let me tell you the story, how it was, because I sat playing on the floor, snakes and ladders. Any of you as old as me, you know the board game. Once upon a time, there were no computers. And uh, we, I would be sitting on the floor, and she had an old typewriter. I still have it, a red typewriter, and carbon paper and a mimeograph machine. And she got a couple of the ladies in the church that would go into the villages and find these people who were coming to the church and their children 
and she was the social worker, and she made a file, a paper file in triplicate with um, carbon paper, and got each child and each family, and that from that started the first school that went grade one through six. Wow. And all those children mm -hmm. were from what we call the Basti, which slums. is from the slums of India. And part of the caste system is, and it's not that way now, and I truly believe because two senators who came to dad's funeral told me it was your dad who taught us that the caste system is not what it is. Because it used to be that you had to be born into a certain caste to be educated, and dad was going to change that. And with her, they took the children from the caste, and mother, Mother Teresa was a big part of this in helping dad find where these children were. Mm -hmm. And they would take these children, and mom developed this system where she kept files on these kids, and they were our first grades one through six. And when they graduated through grade 10 and 12, they graduated at the top of all over India, showing that the lowest of caste, given a chance through the grace of God, could change and become something. And they're all over the world now as very educated people. But it all started because she took the time to sit down and type manually and ladies would go out and be identified through mother and her work and be able to put those kids into school and change. And we're talking now 40 years, the same system going on. So thousands and thousands of people have been changed, wow. not to mention how many families have come to Christ. Wow, that's awesome. Well, I call the children our little evangelists. You know, you get the <laughs> child and you educate the child. You know, before Mother Teresa died, and she took very ill, in fact, our doctors treated her till she died. We were in the hospital one day, and she said these words I'll never forget. She said, it's not how much you do, but how much love you put in the doing that counts. And then I said, Mother, you mean if we don't put Christ's love in our doing that counts, it's all in vain? And she said, yes. Wow. Then she took my hand in her 87-year-old hand. She said, when you help the poor, you do it unto Christ. And I think sometimes, you know, when we give our offering, we write our check. In missionary giving, you do it unto Christ. Because doing doesn't count unless love motivates it. That's right. And loving doesn't count unless doing demonstrates it. Mm. Our feeding program, let me tell you, we started so small with 200 children. Today, we are feeding 25,000 every day in our street and school feeding programs. Now on the book table at the back, there are two books. One is called Woman of Courage and the other is called Pathway to the Impossible. Now I haven't got time to tell you 58 years of miracles or you never go home tonight. But if you want a miracle in your life, please pick up one of those books, but that's not all. One book that you buy tonight feeds a child for 10 days. Wow. And you know, I walk through the feeding lines and I ask people, don't only buy a book, don't only read the book, but pray while you're reading that book for that family. Mm -hmm. Because everything we do, dear ones, tonight is for three purposes, body, soul, and spirit. Mm -hmm. It's to win that family for Jesus Christ. And so when you buy a book, pray for that family that you're feeding that we will be able to win them for Christ. 
And then our hospital is such an arm of evangelism. I walk into that ward and see 500 children a month. Leukemia, one of our worst killers, the blood going into those children. I think of the lady in the Bible. She couldn't get near Jesus, but she touched the hem of his garment. He felt it go out, she felt it go in, and she was healed. So many are healed, those precious children. And then Cliff Pallet. One out of every 700 born in India has a cleft palate. Wow. Those children, and the trouble is in their religion, they believe in reincarnation. So that family is cursed that they have a deformed child. We have a blind school, 200 blind children. Nobody cared for them. They're on the streets begging. I said, God, give me a blind home. <laughs> Today we have that blind home. And I walk in the hospital and see these children. One day I saw a lady. She was crying, sitting next to her child. And I went over, I pulled a chair up next to her, and I said, why are you crying? And all she did was this. I looked down, I never saw a face like that. Terrible, terrible. Now I knew she had come from one of the rural clinics. This is something new we have under the auspices of our hospital, in villages where we can't build a church, we can't build a school, we have a rural clinic. And after we get the favor of the villages, it takes time, but the doctor's table becomes the pastor's pulpit, and we have that's church right, that's right. Yes, come on. on Sundays. And she'd come from there, shunned, cursed. I said, Mother, wait till tomorrow. That child will come out of the operating, looking beautiful. Take her home. Tell them in that village what Jesus has done for you. It opens up the village. It opens yeah. up the villages. Wow. And, and, and you're still going, right? I mean, you, you, you still go like, I, I've been told this is one thing I'm amazed by. You're, you're going and you're actually, I know you're here stateside, but you, you're going. And well, I go back and forth. Yes, yes. 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 I come back and <laughs> Don't you love this? I People talk back. about retirement, and she's going to change the world. So I, I, I love it. I come back and raise money, you know. But you know, if I we was, just give more, you wouldn't have to come back as much. Is that what you're oh. trying to say? I'm just teasing. But you know, I was. Yeah, I told you we're in 11 states of India. I want to tell them this before we close today. Okay. We went up. I went up to preach in a pastors' conference, and our general superintendent of those the seven states. Now we have. Oh, we have about 350 churches and schools and everything in all those seven, 11 states, seven states. He said, I'm going to take you somewhere tomorrow you've never been before. I said, where? He said, the largest cemetery in the eastern world is in that area, about the capital city of Kohima, which is in Nagaland, the biggest state there. When the world Japanese were coming over from Burma, they said these, all these oriental people looked more like them. I never saw such a huge cemetery in my life. Canadian, English, American graves. But as I walked into the cemetery, there was a large arch. Go home and tell them we gave our today for their tomorrow. Hmm. And I stood under that arch and I thought, yes, God, over 50 years now, we've given really our today for thousands of tomorrows. And then I thought of a grave in Calcutta. 
Mark died so suddenly. And I stood beside the grave in the end. Bonnie was there with me. Shovel by shovel is the culture till the grave is full. And I said, God, what now? What now? Surely it's not me. <laughs> this is huge. How can I do it? And then I thought, well, we've been here 35 years now. We only came for one. 35 should be enough. Right, sure. I agree. <laughs> Have you ever argued with God? Uh, yeah, many times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the worship team started to sing that beautiful song, Love So Amazing, So Divine, Demands My Life, My Soul, My Life. And I said, God, if you'll help me, I'll stay. And you know, the investment we have made in lives. So many times we're on television, they say, what's the greatest accomplishment that you've made? I said, investment in the lives. When you see these children from the slums of Calcutta, now our doctors, now our nurses, now our pastors, now our teachers in schools, these children, because education breaks the caste. And to see these children now in our ministries all over, and as I walk with them, you know, I, it, it's, I just can't thank God enough. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, have you enjoyed this? Would you give her a big hand? <laughs>